It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Kriya Yoga podcast. This particular episode is a rebroadcast of Christopher Sartain's The Western Yoga podcast, episode 32. Christopher Sartain is a fellow Kriya Yoga student of Roy Eugene Davis. He's a Kriya Yoga teacher, and he asked me to do an interview with him where I wasn't quite sure what we were going to talk about, um, and he presented a series of questions to me, which some were surprising, and a few of them caught me off guard. But overall, re-listening to the original recording, I thought it would be wonderful to share this with the audience of the Kriya Yoga podcast, and uh, Christopher agreed. So in this podcast, we talk about things such as orthodoxy and dogma. We talk about how useful it is to deify a spiritual teacher and what the avatar trap is. Um, we talk about the larger picture of Kriya Yoga organizations. And we also touch upon the idea of Kriya initiation, the importance of Kriya initiation, as well as how resilience, developing resilience, developing mental, emotional health and well-being assists us to get the most out of this Kriya Yoga path, this meditative, contemplative path. So you can find Christopher's original recording on youtube.com slash at Kriya Yogi. And this is episode 32. And on his YouTube channel, you can see the, the video recording if you feel you need that. Also, being episode 32, you've got about 31 other episodes that you could tune into um, from Christopher Sartain. So let's go ahead and get started. And I'm grateful to have had the fellowship of Chris, and I've been grateful the entire time I've known him. So hopefully this episode will be of benefit and of interest to you as well. Well, I'm so happy to be here today with my dear friend Ryan Kurzak, fellow Kriya Yoga teacher and fellow student of Roy Eugene Davis. And today we're going to discuss his journey as a Kriya Yoga teacher. And of course, the, the theme of this podcast is Western yoga or westernized yoga or yoga as it is practiced and taught in the West. Uh, Ryan is quite obviously a, a Westerner and lives in West Virginia, even. Yes. Um, so we'll, we'll discuss his journey as a, as a Kriya yoga teacher and some of the common sort of pitfalls that uh, we all experience as Kriya yoga teachers, my, myself included, and how we can sort of avoid some of those uh, common pitfalls as teachers in this tradition. So I'm going to start off with just a series of questions uh, for Ryan dealing with uh, different subjects and how how important he thinks they are in this Kriya Yoga path or the spiritual enlightenment path in general. 
And so Ryan, to start, um, how, how important is orthodoxy and dogma in the Kriya Yoga path? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, so orthodoxy and dogma, I was, I was not expecting that as the first one. Uh, I think that it's not super important. However, I do think that it is valuable at a certain stage. So in the beginning, um, you know, we do need some guidelines to follow. And for people who are a little more erratic or are a little more kind of hard to get into uh, the role of, of being more disciplined, it might be for them that uh, some sort of dogma or orthodoxy could kind of help give them something to believe in enough so that they're able to continue uh, on the path until they don't necessarily need that anymore and they can be a little more fluid, a little more alive with it. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, and, and when I refer to, to dogma, I'm referring to sort of this tendency within organizations, let's say, to adhere to a specific belief system or set of beliefs, which in time becomes a type of orthodoxy. Mm. Um, especially within organizations, which I see is, is a bit problematic and uh, certainly not the way we were taught, really, right. Um, right. to have rigid belief systems around all of this stuff. And, um, and that, that's why I asked that, that particular question. But yeah, I agree cool. that certainly in, in the beginning, structure can be very, very important. Right. Well, what makes it so hard, if you don't mind if I said one more thing about that? Mm-hmm. Um, what makes it so hard is, you know, in the beginning, um, like, for example, if we take the yamas and niyamas being harmlessness, being truthful, practicing contentment, and so on, in the beginning, it might require a person to just say, you know what, this is what the authority said, I need to follow, this is the doctrine of this system. And so, even if the person doesn't quite yet understand really why those things are important, that kind of orthodoxy, I think, can be helpful to them until they kind of realize it for themselves. You know, when I think of things like uh, dogma that are problematic, I think it's more like um, deifying a particular person or um, huh, kind of. That's on my list, huh? Oh, is it? Okay. Well, then we'll we'll wait. I'll, I'll save that comment for then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's go there. How important is it to deify and worship your spiritual teacher and the Kriya Yoga? <laughs> Uh, again, it, it's, it's, a it's, it's something that's got some nuance to it because on one hand you don't, well, at least from my experience, and I never did this with Mr. Davis, which some people, I guess, kind of find some fault with me for, um, to, to deify a teacher in my mind, I think that creates kind of what might be considered an avatar trap. That's like the term that I've used. Mm-hmm. And that's the sense where, for example, when we look at uh, Paramahansa Yogananda and now everyone says, well, he's an avatar. Okay. Right. Well, uh, you don't quite get that from his book considering how he grew from a child to a young adult to where he uh, became the teacher that he did. You know, there was a progression in that regard. And one of the difficulties with making someone an avatar or deifying them 
is that it, it causes the students, it gives them a greater capacity to self-sabotage because if they think, well, this person is so far beyond me, well, that makes it very easy for them to say, well, I, there's no way I can do that. So why, why do I need to try as hard as they might have tried? You know, even with Yogananda, he didn't become the way he was because he was just naturally born into that. He had to be trained by Sri Yukteswar. He had to have his devotion channeled and so on. He even changed as the years went on. So, you know, in my experience, while I absolutely uh, love and respect and, and honor our teacher, Roy Eugene Davis, I've never felt like deifying him um, because he represented something that was important to me and that, that love and that honor and that respect helped to inspire me to continue. Um, but I think if I would have looked at him and thought he is so much, so much further beyond me, it, it would have made me at least personally, maybe not try as hard, mm. you know? Yeah. So I think there's, there's some, some nuances to all that. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Um, how important are Machiavellian power plays within organizations in the Kriya Yoga path? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that you enlighten the states of consciousness. <laughs> what was the last thing you said? Is, is that important for our uh, enlightenment oh. process? No, I don't. I don't think so. And 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 again, you know that that's the difficult thing about having uh, an organization. And um, you know, when you've got an organization, you you definitely have personalities involved. And when personalities get involved, while there are a lot of well-meaning people, you never really know really deep downside what someone's thinking. And this is one of the difficulties that I, I kind of have with with organizations is that um, what you just described. Or, or the term you used, like that can really get in the way of a person's ability to know what they should be doing. And it can also get in the way of a person's uh, faith and trust in the entire process. Because if you get caught up in an organizational situation, and like all organizations, there's some kind of human drama involved, well, a lot of people will look at that and they'll say, well, well, I don't want to participate in that. And so then they fall away and they don't benefit from, you know, the point of the organization, which is to support uh, a teaching, a methodology and a process that, that contributes to greater well-being. So, no, I don't, I don't think those things are, are useful at all, really. Agreed. Um, how important is it to accumulate as many followers or disciples as humanly possible in the Kriya Yoga Path? Well, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> These are just wonderful. I've, I have to admit, I have never been this surprised by a series of questions before. So thank you for, for giving me a new experience here. Wonderful. Um, this kind of goes back to the idea of organizations and, and what makes it so difficult. Because on one level, if you have an organization, you do have to have people there to support it. And so having more people show up uh, can be helpful in that regard. However, from my experience, you know, when it comes down to teaching Kriya Yoga, um, the numbers aren't important. What's important is are people, are people showing up who, who are willing to pay attention and apply what they learn? And this is something that you probably have experienced, I'm sure. And I know Roy experienced and I experienced when I had um, the opportunity to be in charge of a meditation center. You know, sometimes people would show up and rather than thinking, great, I'm here to learn this process. The first thing that comes out of their mouth is, well, how many people come here? 
And, yeah. and my response is, was always in my, in my mind. I never really said it out loud too much. Uh, who cares how many people come here? Like, are you here to learn uh, a particular uh, way of practicing Kriya Yoga? Or are you here just to, see, just to, to, have, to participate in a community where there's lots of people? So um, when it comes to learning Kriya Yoga itself, I don't think large numbers really are that important. I think it's more of the, 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 the quality work uh, that's important. Absolutely. That, that leads into my next question. How important is it to fit in and feel a sense of belonging in the Kriya Yoga path? Um, I mean, I think it helps to have some similarities between people. It just tends to make things a little more harmonious. Um, but ultimately, you know, when we're participating in a, a spiritual path, what's important is, are we learning to meditate well? Are we learning to understand what's written in the, the, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and the Bhagavad Gita? And if people are different, I think that that can be helpful because it will also teach us to be a little more broad-minded to accept different viewpoints and to see uh, that it's okay that, that we can learn and grow together, even if we have different tastes in how we dress or different tastes in, in, in how we live and, and what, we, what we find to be useful. I mean, even in yoga, you know, there are people, there are people like Yogananda who are very devotional, who are very emotional, and they're just, they're like a powerhouse of this kind of like emotional energy. And then there are people like Roy Jean Davis that we knew and probably Sri Yukteswar, although I never met him, um, who they were just as devotional, but they were more austere. And they, they had the ability to understand the yoga process just as much as Yogananda, but it just wasn't as uh, flamboyant. So, um, I think having, having an ability to get along with different kinds of people, as long as you know that you're going in the same direction, that can be pretty helpful. Yeah, I agree. Community can, can be helpful for sure. As long as it's not the, the priority, like you were saying that, you know, the people arrive and the first thing they want to know is where's the community? How is the community? How can I belong? How can I fit in here? Yeah. Um, rather than how, you know, how can you help me wake up and, right. <laughs> um, uh, let's see how important is how important is it to go out of your way to prevent other teachers from stealing your students in the Kriya yoga path? <laughs> okay. So how important is it? How important is it to go out of your way to prevent other teachers from stealing your students in the Kriya yoga path? Correct. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I guess it depends on if they're nefarious and manipulative teachers, then you might want to prevent them <laughs> from stealing your students. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, the, the way I look at it is um, that, you know, m many of the teachers that I have met, they're very different in regards to maybe how they've interpreted certain things or, or what they find to be more important. And um, my, my sense has always been that a student should find a teacher that is able to help them the most. And they should find a teacher that they're able to develop uh, the best authentic rapport uh, with. And so, for example, you know, if, if we did uh, a retreat together and, you know, people from different, uh, like your mailing list or maybe my mailing list showed up and they listened to you talk and they thought, well, you know, Ryan's great and all, but something about Chris, you know, there, there's just a way he presents it that I think I understand a little bit better. 
Um, in my mind, the likelihood of that occurring is somewhere around zero percent. No, I don't know but about we'll, that. We'll use it. We'll use it for the for the purposes of of the discussion. Yeah, you'd be surprised, but. Um, in, in my mind, I personally would want that student to go learn with you because the ultimate goal is to keep the person inspired and to keep them uh, learning about what is important on the Kriya Yoga path. So ultimately, you know, when you asked that question, that was something I had thought about recently and then it popped up in my mind. Well, it, it is important, I think, to, to try to, you know, be clear that you don't want your students to get involved with uh, other folks who just want to kind of manipulate them or take advantage of them. You, you don't want that to happen to your friends. You don't want that to happen to your family. And I don't know how often that happens. I've never really seen that happen. Um, but I think that is an important reason to possibly try to keep that from happening. But otherwise, I think that um, just with the difference in variety of, of approaches and presentations, I, I just, I personally feel that a student should go where they, they feel they belong, you know, and, and I think that's the most important thing. For sure. Yeah. Agreed. Um, how, how important is it for someone to touch your forehead for 30 seconds? Uh, <laughs> You're talking about like the Cree initiation? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, this is a little bit longer uh, response. And it comes from, from watching and observing people who, who go through initiations and, and people who apply the Kriya techniques. And, and what I have observed is that people who tend to look for that special initiation experience, um, but they don't actually practice what they learn, the person who knows how to meditate, the person who has committed themselves to meditating, to, to studying, and to, to living a yogic lifestyle – those people tend to make the greatest progress versus someone who might have gotten initiation from the greatest yogi in the world. And um, I've seen this happen so many times such that, you know, when I teach Kriya Yoga to people, sometimes they don't participate in an initiation until a year or two after they've, they've learned uh, many of their procedures. But what's interesting about that is those people who have spent that that amount of time, you know, a year, two years, really trying to figure it out, really, really learning how to, to meditate well, when they actually get to the initiation, it's like it impacts them in a more profound way. So, given the option of just getting initiation from who you might think is the holiest of holies or actually doing the work, I think doing the work is more important. But I also think and have seen the people who are doing the work and then participate in initiation uh, and then have that moment of, of blessing that a, a teacher gives during that process, that, that really empowers them. It's like, it's like uh, uh, you know, putting water and fertilizer on freshly prepared soil and seeds, whereas before you're putting that water and fertilizer on there and maybe the ground's not ready for it yet. So uh, just like some of these questions, there are some nuances to it, but that wouldn't be something that I would put the most emphasis towards. Right. Yeah, there's... Uh... Well, because I, I give a, an online correspondence course, and um, of course I'm, I'm I'm unable to, you know, give them the, the the blessing as part of that initiation process online, obviously. Right. And uh, I've I've been judged rather harshly by by some uh, for for doing that or even offering that as an option, and. Uh, 
I, I always tell people, well, and of course they have the option to come here to our, our yeah. retreat center and we can do the initiation ceremony uh, here in person. And, and many have, have come to do that. But I also tell people, look, you know, Roy told me once that about 90% or so of the people that he initiated in person didn't keep practicing right. uh, after the initiation. So what's more important, um, you know, having a, a saintly person or someone that's part of the lineage or something like that, I, by the way, not including myself in that uh, saintly person category, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know, what, what's more important having someone touch touch your forehead for a few seconds during a an hour long initiation ceremony let's say or being devoted and disciplined in your your daily sadhana and in, in your your practice of course you will uh, reap far more benefits from from your daily practice than you ever could from someone touching your forehead and, and giving you a, a blessing also right. i like to tell people that uh, you can ask for god's uh, grace and and blessing at any time, it, you know, God uh, doesn't live in our hand. Uh, so uh, therefore, you know, it, it's to me sort of a silly notion that uh, one can only receive the blessing and, and grace of, of God or the lineage via the touch of, of someone. It just, yeah. uh, it's like Catholicism. <laughs> amid the middleman. Yeah, the middleman. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. completely unnecessary, but yes, you're right. I have noticed that folks that, um, are very devoted on their path uh, and, and have practiced for a couple of years without, you know, knowing me personally or anything like that, or in, in person rather, when they do come here uh, to do the more formal, you know, Kriya initiation ceremony, um, they benefit far more in their, mm -hmm. their, uh, and, and I think it, it, it even kindles more devotion uh, after, after the process. Right. And we've got such a wonderful opportunity with technology these days. You know, when, when I first went to CSA and probably you too, we didn't have these opportunities. You know, if we wanted to learn, we had to like drive down there or fly over there or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and I don't know what your experience was, but I had read Autobiography of a Yogi and um, I had a general idea of kind of what might happen. Um, but I, I spent a week there and then I learned the techniques and that was it, you know? And uh I don't know. Sometimes it feels to me like uh, having a little more preparation would be good, and having uh, having like like what you're talking about, having correspondence courses, having Zoom, having the ability to do meetings like this, it allows people to actually now take the time to study and get a sense of what it's all about. That way, when it does come time to do an initiation, the people who really are they're not just trying to get you know a boost. They're really wanting it to be part of the the commitment of their 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 path in life. They tend to get more out of it, I think. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Notice the same thing. So, <clears throat> some of these questions were silly, and uh, intentionally so, and um, and a bit sarcastic. I know Yogananda said that sarcasm is not good, but <laughs> what can I tell you? Um, Sometimes you gotta let it out. <laughs> yeah. But but the whole purpose of that was to, to demonstrate that, you know, looking around without being judgmental, as I look at a lot of different Korea organizations or Korea teachers, I see, uh, I, I see them prioritizing the, the wrong things. And, and I'm sure you've observed the same thing. 
so my my question to you is why is that i mean what what's going on it, it's almost like in a certain sense korea uh and and some organizations and and, and traditions has become almost like a character of it, uh, of itself and and what's going on why why is that why are organizations and teachers prioritizing the wrong the wrong things yeah you know i can only speculate on that and um i think it's just human nature i think it, it seems I, I think it's been going on since or since religions organized really yes. and i think it's also partially related to the idea that um you know lirium hasiah he wasn't really too thrilled about the idea of things being organized. That's right. And, and to, to my speculation is because when you begin to organize something, what happens then is now that has to be supported. And so, for example, um, you know, if you have buildings, if you have property, if you have, you, you, you know, you, you have to maintain those things. Yeah. And, and in order to maintain those things, uh, it might not always work to sit up there and just simply focus on uh, the, the pure essence of, of what Kriya Yoga is about. Why? Because many people have difficulty kind of coming to terms with some of the, the, the principles in, in Kriya Yoga because it's, it's, they're, they're hard things to grasp, like non-attachment or being content in all circumstances. And, um, and Religion and, and spirituality for a long time also really plays a role of allowing people to feel safe in a community situation. And so more people, this is again my speculation, want to feel safe in a community situation rather than they want to do the tapas or that intensity in spiritual practice, which is hard and really causes you to need to confront your psychological complexes and, and, and encourage you, as, as Roy would say, you know, to grow up mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Many people don't want to do that. And, you know, we can go on and on about the whys and so on, but, you know, the state of the world, we're, we're filled with, we're, we're surrounded by people like me and you probably, and others whom have experienced uh, traumas in our lives and difficulties. And um, oftentimes what we want more than anything is safety. <clears throat> And, you know, kind of focusing more on the organizational aspect of things that tends to give uh, more of what people want, that sense of safety. Mm. Um, so uh, that's, my, that's my theory. Uh, I don't know how true it is or not, but that's something that I've, I've reflected upon and, and, and kind of come to on my own. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think that's probably a, a, a fairly safe bet. Well, um, even even, no even in my own even in my own presentation, mm -hmm. you know, I, I do like you. I do a lot of work online, and um, people find me uh, through YouTube and 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 books and podcasts. <clears throat> and um, I don't like to encourage. Uh, I don't like to encourage people to say, "Let's go start a Facebook group and start talking about all this stuff," right. because I want people to where they are in their individual lives and in their individual homes to apply the yogic principles and learn how to meditate rather than focus on the community aspect of things. Um, I think it's great to come together once or twice a year just to have that kind of experience. Um, but when, you, when people are, are on their own and are learning to practice on their own, then the emphasis is towards uh, getting better at their practice. And um, I, I've had people 
you know, criticize me because I, I don't, I don't want to, to um, I don't want to instigate a community. They say, oh, he's, he's trying to keep us separated so he can control all of us. I'm thinking, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want to sit here in my, in, in the, the world headquarters for Kriya Yoga online and, yeah. and manipulate everyone all over the world. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like, it's like, they don't understand. I barely have enough time to answer the emails that I've got, let alone, you yeah. know, do things like that. So uh, it, I think it's just it, people just really want that. They want to belong. And mm-hmm. and I think it's because of psychological issues, you know, what happened when they were children, what happened in their own community. And and it, it's hard to see beyond that, really. Yeah. Uh, when you were talking, it reminded me of something Roy said or that I, I heard him say. Someone was complaining to him one time that they didn't have any other uh, members of, of his organization living in their community nearby. And he said, you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is my favorite things he ever said. He just, exactly. Well, you know, and, and, and Roy, uh, Yogananda sent him to Phoenix, right. You know, right. three, three or so months after, after he was uh, accepted initiated. And he said he loved that because right. he had his, his, his ability to just focus on the practice, you know, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, again, I think it's important to, to recognize that, that, that people have different kinds of needs. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, uh, from my experience, if someone needs the community aspect of things or, or wants a kind of like a father figure to say, I am the great guru and you must listen to me. Well, I'm not the Kriya Yoga teacher you should come to. Um, That's for sure. <laughs> but but there, there, are other, there are other organizations, there are other teachers that for whatever reason, they, they serve, they like that and they serve that population. And, and just like we talked about um, uh, flock rating, that kind of thing. Right. I, I send people to other places because I, I want them to have what they need because, you know, there's one story that Roy told, I'm sure you've heard it. I think it's in um, Paramahansa Yogananda as I knew him where he and um, uh, Herbert Freed, the minister from Phoenix went to visit one of the members and when they walked in, the woman like showed this picture, this painting of this, this old wise man with like celestial cosmic stuff behind him. Ascended master. Yes, an ascended master, right. And, and the woman said, you know, this is my master or something like that. You, you might right. know the story better than I do. And Roy looked at Herbert kind of like, what, what's she talking about? But he didn't say anything. Mm. And then when Roy went to meet with Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, Yogananda told him, I'm glad you didn't say anything. Because right now, that is what she needs in order to stay engaged. And if you had criticized her or said, you know, that's not true, that might have driven her away. And she wouldn't have been able to get the benefit of maintaining more long-term association with, with Yogananda and so on. So, th- this, this is such a, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad we're talking about it, but it is such a nuanced topic. I, I keep using that word. <laughs> Well, as you know, if you follow politics, nuance is a bit of a, an endangered species of, sh- of, of sorts. Yes. Um, along with uh, sophisticated arguments. And um, so I'm, I'm happy to talk about, about nuance. Uh, yeah. I know that the world is nuanced and that a lot of these spiritual topics uh, require nuance mm-hmm. and um, they're not black and white. And so I'm, I'm I'm happy to to discuss all these things with you. Ha, ha, go go ahead. Yeah, w- w- remember what you're going to say. Well, I was I was going to ask you how you've been able to 
or or perhaps you've experienced some I've, I've experienced some of these some of these questions that i ask mm-hmm. i've experienced some of these things you know as a spiritual teacher uh there is the tendency uh to become a bit narcissistic and right. and you know you have to promote if you're not part of an organization well who's going to promote you you right you know right. so you have to engage in a certain level of self-promotion which can you know if left uncontrolled turn into a bit of narcissism uh, you know that term is very strong but yeah i think you know what i'm what i'm getting getting at so I- how, how have you been able to avoid um, cause I know you and I know you've been able to, to avoid a lot of these pitfalls. So, yeah. you know, what, what does that look like in your process as a teacher? I, I think that I, I understand the question and, and it does speak to what I was getting ready to say. I think the difference is if no one came to any of my classes, if no one read my books, if no one listened to my podcasts, I'd go do something else. Hmm. And, and what I mean by that is. I don't define myself through this role. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's important because what happens is there, I, I think for many people, not, not uh, for many people, what happens is they become identified with a role and then they feel they have to do everything that they need to, to support that role. And, and Roy didn't do this. And you see, this is, this is a lesson I learned very early. Well, maybe not early on, midway in my relationship with Roy. Um, when we opened up the Asheville Kriya Yoga Center, the CSA Center in Asheville, what did he say to me? He said, wear a suit, wear a tie, cut your hair, show up, sit there on that chair, maybe say one or two words, then meditate silently for the rest of the time. And, and here I was in Asheville, North Carolina, where if you're, those who are listening, if you're familiar with that, it's sort of like a spiritual Mecca. You know, everyone is a yogi. Everyone new is a guru. New age capital of the East Coast. Yeah, sure. yeah. They say, you know, you can't throw a rock without hitting like a, a shaman and a massage therapist and a Reiki master. They're, they're, and sure. they're probably all the same person. Um, and so I was doing this and I'm thinking, well, this is, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. You know, no one wants to come and, and meditate with someone who looks like a banker, you know. Right. And, um, and I didn't understand. I didn't quite understand what he was wanting, but I did it. And I was thinking to myself, it's, it's not going to work because people have so many other options. And, um, and, but what I know now, I know why he was doing that because he wanted people to show up and he wanted me to teach not for, n- not because I, I looked at a certain part. You know, not, not because I looked like someone who could teach Kriya Yoga. I could, but he wanted people to show up who were able to kind of see beyond the, um, uh, the, the, the outer covering, I suppose. And so when some teachers, they, be, they become so obsessed with like being seen, being seen, being seen. Well, that, that, that kind of takes over uh, their drive. And, and then they don't know, like, it, it's like they become trapped in it. You know, mm-hmm. Well, I can't do anything else, so I have to keep doing this thing. Whereas what I think is useful is if, and I try to tell my students this too, what I think is useful is if you have such a profound interest in, in yoga and meditation that you would do it whether anyone knew you were doing it, that you would do it whether anyone acknowledged you. In my experience, the best teachers are those people who they would do what they did, whether or not you know, they were getting uh, 
uh, recognized for it. And, and even when it comes to, to finances and so on, you know, you and I both had the, the uh, fortune, good fortune to go to Center for Spiritual Awareness. And Roy, he never asked us for any money. You know, of course, we were encouraged, not encouraged. He didn't even encourage us. They, they accepted donations right. to help keep things going. Um, but there was, no, there was no emphasis towards the financial aspect of things. And, and I think that's important because once you kind of get caught up in that, it, 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 it's hard to go back. And, and that's why I said, if no one paid any attention to anything I was doing, I personally would continue to practice I personally would continue to study. And if one or two people were interested, I would talk to them about it. But if I had to go and, um, and I've done this in my life, I've been a Vedic astrologer, a massage therapist, a craniosacral therapist. I have the ability to do other things. So if God wants me, what's that? Rockstar. Yeah. Well, (laughs) no, I I can't stay up late enough for that. That that was my drawback there. Uh, But I, and, and that's true in other things too. Like for example, in, in the cult of personality, even with astrology, being an astrologer, why do many people become astrologers? Because that's a great way to get attention. You know, they might've wanted to be a model or they wanted to be this, or they wanted to be that. Well, now they can just talk nonsense about astrology on YouTube and everyone loves them. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so it's not just a, it's not just a spiritual thing. I, I think it's uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's more global and it really comes down to, um, you know, trying to find a teacher or trying to find someone who is just so sincerely interested in what they're doing that they would do it or not. You know, speaking of, of rock stars, one of my favorite bands is, is Led Zeppelin. And those people in that band would have played music, whether they got famous or not. You know, Robert Plant had, had almost quit midway through the career of Led Zeppelin to become a music or to become a, a school teacher, right? Because he, he did not, well, at least my, my, my understanding is he could do that and he could still play music and still love music. You, you understand the difference of kind of what I'm saying here? Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, I've actually had this discussion with some students of mine and we kind of came to the conclusion that perhaps a spiritual teacher should have a secondary source of, of income so yeah. that they're not completely dependent upon generating interest in, in everything they do to, to uh, provide their entire uh, livelihood because right. this can lead to manipulation on behalf of, right. of the teacher. You know, if things start going south, well, then they, they might create new uh, interesting ways to try and, to try and gin up some uh, interest and, and, and create new avenues for, for income that right. might not be completely conducive to the goal of, of the process or, or the path. And right. so um, that does seem like a, a decent, uh, and, and of course that doesn't go for everyone, obviously, but, um, but I think that that can be a good sort of compromise that, but the, the issue I have with that sometimes is, well, if, do you really want your spiritual teacher working, you know, 50 hours a week at right. uh, some stressful job they don't, they don't like and having zero time for, you know, meditation, study, research, investigation, uh, teaching, uh, mm-hmm. and all of that, probably not. So um, th- I think there, there's some nuance, right. nuance there. 
Well, uh, and the, the other problem with, with kind of being dependent on being dependent on students, I mean, you're going to get stressed out if, if they're not doing, you know, supporting you financially. And that mm-hmm. is that it's not just that the teacher can become manipulative to try to generate more things. It's that then the teacher could become more accommodating to things that the teacher should not be accommodating to. Uh, and so then the whole process gets kind of diluted you know, that, that's a difficulty too. But, you know, Roy, in my own case, while I was ordained in 2005, and I would teach classes and I would travel around and go to unity churches and so on. Every time I would bring up the idea of, you know, I, I think I'm ready to, to just focus on teaching Kriya Yoga, he would always say, keep doing your astrology practice, keep doing that because you need to pay your bills. That way you're able to pay your bills and then you can do these other things without having to worry about, like you said, having to need those things to generate income. I think it's great when, when support does show up, but um, like you were just discussing, if, if, a, if a teacher has their own, um, if a teacher has their own support, well, then they can teach purely. It's like mm-hmm. Lahiri Messiah, you know, working at the, I think he was a clerk at the railroad or, or at the military. Well, Working there and even tutoring students that allowed him to meet with um, students at night or at other times. And again, he, w- he did not have to worry about, all he had to worry about was, are they practicing well? And, and in my mind, I think that is, that is the most important quality of a teacher is if the teacher is skilled enough to know how to meditate and practice Kriya Yoga, but if they can also, if the primary focus is on focusing on the student and encouraging, finding ways to help them practice well, like that needs to be the, the ideal. And if anything else works out aside from that, well, that's just gravy. Shri <laughs> Swar had, you know, some family money that he was able to, uh, in real estate investments and things of that nature, collecting rent off of uh, rental properties and whatnot. <clears throat> which exactly. allowed him all the, the free time in the world to engage with his students, run an ashram and everything. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I think that can be, can be beneficial to have supplemental income. So they're not completely dependent upon, you know, your Kriya yoga ministry or teachings or what have you. Right. And, and, you know, with astrology, that's, that's what I was able to do. And it even worked out such that I, 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 I worked on this four year astrology course, meaning people would have to take it for four years and I was able to offer it online. And then uh, after Mr. Davis uh, gave me permission to teach full-time, when he said it was a good idea, I was able to take that and automate it. And so students are able to go and take that course still, and that generates income so that I am able to teach as as I do. So it helps. And so I think, you know, teachers often need to figure out ways to kind of uh, leverage their skills in that regard too. But that gives me the freedom to do what Roy did, which is do my best to focus on sharing things on a donation basis, because I'm not worried about how many donations are coming in. <laughs> you know, exactly. I think that makes it, uh, for me, that's made all the difference in the world because on one hand, if a student's coming and they're wanting to work with you and um, you know, there's no rapport there. Well, if you were a type of teacher who kind of needed the income or something like that, the, the teacher might just continue and persist, even though it's not working out, they would encourage it. Whereas if you are free, then you can simply be free to 
to, to teach as you know and let people come and go as they need to, which I think gives a little more authentic experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, what do you say to folks that are uh, wary of um, or, or reluctant to engage in, in a relationship with, with a, a, a spiritual teacher uh, because of, you know, the bad rap that, <clears throat> that the guru has kind of gotten in, in the West, um, you know, and, and, and rightfully so to a certain extent. Uh, there have been some abuses and everything. We, we know about all these cases. And yeah. so I run into this sometimes. Um, and so there are people that are, that are really reluctant or hesitant to engage in any type of uh, relationship with, and not, not just talking about me, but with, with other gurus or other teachers uh, because they um, have a, there, there's some element of, of, of fear uh, there. Um, yeah. You know, how, how, that's... how has, how is that changing or, or how, how do you see that evolving here in the West or in the United States, let's say. Yeah, that's a good question. And really, I think it's good to be wary. I mean, I think more people should be warier uh, in general. And, and that's, and, and, and what, what I think is good for a student to do is if they find someone that they, they, they're able to, you know, read their books or, or attend a workshop or, or watch a video or something. And if they have a sense that, you know, I could learn from this person, you know, what they need to do is just explore. All right, let's, let's keep listening. Let's keep uh, exploring. And there might come a time where they've spent two to three years. And I think you should take time to, to figure out, you know, who you want your teacher to be, because it's like anything else. I mean, do you marry the first person that you see? Do you become friends with someone just because they come up and say, Hey, I'm your friend. You know, you don't, you don't just say, you know, well, I'm your guru. And so, and everyone agrees. Um, I, I think that observing the, those individuals that you think you might be able to learn from, and then like you would treat any other relationship, uh, explore that and see what happens. And, um, and, and always keep your, keep your radar up. You know, uh, it's like when I make friends, I'm fairly open to, to meeting new people, but I now, these days I give people about one or two years before I make a hard decision. Like, yes, this is my friend because you don't know what they're going to do. You don't know what's going on in their mind. You don't know what they're, you know, what might pop out at some strange point in time, but it seems that two years is a really good, uh, really good uh, length of time. Mm -hmm. And in, in the same way, people that I've learned from, I've really only learned from, from Mr. Davis. Um, but there are, there are other teachers whom I have read and some of whom I've met, and there are only a handful, maybe one or two others, that I can wholeheartedly recommend their teachings and their writings, because never did I read anything in their books or hear anything in their lectures that made me go, I don't know about that. So when it, when it comes to uh, you know, kind of figuring those things out, I, I want to encourage people to be as absolutely sure as possible. And if they go, I don't know about that, or, or, or they don't feel that they can get behind or understand the principles that the teacher is trying to share, they should go find someone else. Um, I don't mean to be an absolutist, but it's right. like, if I'm going to spend the rest of my life with someone, I want to make damn sure that 98% of the time we're going to be on the same page. <laughs> you know, <laughs> With the occasional uh, wiggle room for, for disagreement. You know? Well, that that's right. And and that's I think that's important. Um, I don't know if Roy told you this or if you told me Roy said this, but it was something like um uh 
Roy said, if you, if you, if you believe, or if you take a hundred percent of what I say is true all the time, like no, you might said, want to think about yeah, it. It was, it was me. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell, said, say, tell the story. Yeah. He said, if you agree with me 90, because I told him, you know, and, and I was in a, a meeting with him and I had disagreed with some little, little detail and he didn't, he didn't care, but he said, look, if you agree with me 90% of the time, that's great. If you agree with me 100% of the time, you probably need to see a shrink. <laughs> yeah, you tell it much better. Well, that's exactly true. And I think that needs to be true for your, your, your romantic relationships, your spiritual teacher relationships, your friendships, your musical relationships, all those things. You know, there, there needs to be, like you said, room to have disagreements and to respect that and to be able to say, you know what, you think something different here, so what, we're still friends. Yeah. Um, and, 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 I, and I think if, if you can do that, things, things go really well. But, you know, I, I do feel it's important, especially with the advent of the internet, that's what makes it difficult is now really anyone can get on YouTube, you know, look at me, <laughs> anyone can get on YouTube and they can say whatever they want. And, and if, if they've got enough, um, if they've got enough tenacity or enough charisma, there's going to be a group of people who are going to say, Oh yes, this is the next teacher of some sort, and and that's not always true, and 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 that's why I think we really need to get to know the person, read their books, see how they behave over the long period of time, and then decide: is this someone that I could see myself learning from? Do they represent what they teach? Do they do they model what they teach? And if they do, always trust your gut. That that's the whole point of this. There's a wonderful book. It's called. Um, the Gift of Fear, and it's written by a fellow named Gavin De Becker. And this person is in charge of kind of like security for high-profile people and so on. And the entire book is about trusting your gut. And then if human beings would trust their gut more rather than, rather than ignoring the red flags when they see them, oh, well, you know, that, that surely that's not a problem. If they would trust their gut and go with it, yes, you might be a little lonelier than you usually are. But more than likely, if you trust your gut, you will have a strong sense of um, whom will help you on your path or whom will help you in life or, or who could be a good friend and so on. I think, I think trusting your gut is really important. And, and that does take a level of even mental and emotional maturity. So you have to work on yourself because if your gut's all messed up because you've been manipulated by a narcissist, well, then you're not going to really be able to tell if you're being manipulated by another one. <laughs> so that's why... You know, one important point is to stress before beginning Kriya Yoga, before getting involved in meditation, spiritual practice, do your utmost best to be as psychologically and mentally healthy as possible. Because if you are psychologically and mentally healthy, there is a heck of a lot less chance that you will put yourself in a position where you can be manipulated by someone. Because psychologically healthy and mentally healthy people don't do that, mm. right? Yeah. So that's my soapbox. <laughs> Oh, yeah, ab absolutely. Um, well, l last question. So what, if, you know, because I, I receive emails from time to time, frequently, actually, from people that say, I want to be enlightened. You know, I want to be enlightened. First of all, you know, I, I studied Eastern uh, religions in college, and I've read tons of books, you know, I spent time with Mr. Davis, uh, a lot of time and um, around some other teachers and whatnot. I'm still not entirely sure uh, what that word means. And it means different things to different people and it means different things in different contexts and in 
different traditions and religions and um but i i know what they i know what they what they mean when they say that or at least i think they do but um but so anyway yeah sometimes when people ask me that or they say you know i i want to be enlightened um the the sometimes the first thought you know getting back to my snarky snide personality is you sure about that yeah right <laughs> really yeah uh you have any idea what you're getting yourself into here um you know so and that's not to <laughs> that's not to dissuade anyone by the way it's just the the thought that comes to my mind knowing this process i've gone through and all the garbage i've had to like uh you know unearth in my own being and 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 all the karma and all these things and and um and the discipline you know spending all this time sitting still you know with your own thoughts looking yourself in the mirror every day and uh seeing some things that aren't so great um and and, and then of course the alternative to that is just complete avoidance and, and and escape you know from 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 all of that and uh, there is some truth to the fact that ignorance is is, is bliss in that regard, um, to to a certain point, of course. And then you you know, bliss is bliss. Right. But uh, so so, what do you tell folks when they when they come to you, super enthusiastic, and they say, "I want to I want to be enlightened." Yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing I say is take my two year Kriya Yoga apprenticeship course, and then we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, th no, well, that's, that's kind of joking, but it's kind of not because, you know, my theory is, you know, if you say that to me and then I say to you, all right, well, here's a two-year course of study you can commit to. If they make it to the end of the two years of study, well, then I think we can actually have a real conversation about it. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, you never really know what's on their mind. And, and so if I do have the, the ability to sit and talk with them, that is the first thing I might ask is, well, you know, what do you mean by enlightened? Just like you were saying, like everyone has a different idea. Someone reads Autobiography of a Yogi, they think that's what it means to be enlightened. No, that's what it means to be Yogananda living his life, right? That's not what it means to be enlightened. Um, and then once you get a sense of what they mean, well, then you can kind of tease out whether like the spiritual path is really the, th the thing that they want, because this is why so many people um, begin a spiritual path and a spiritual tradition and then quit because what they think the spiritual tradition is going to give them is what they want when that's really not the point of the spiritual tradition. And when they go through and they start meditating and they start studying and they start engaging in the process and they don't get, they don't all of a sudden have their, their, their family life completely healed. <laughs> they don't all of a sudden have, you know, their mental, emotional, uh, um, needs perfectly met when that doesn't happen and they think that's what enlightenment is well then they stop and they don't do it anymore and so kind of getting this baseline of, of what are what what is the individual talking about because the spiritual path and and i think mr davis roy really Ill, illustrated demonstrated modeled this i'm not sure what the right term is the spiritual path really isn't meant to be focused on getting the best job, getting the perfect relationship, getting along with everyone, you know, all, all these things, those are things that you do in life. Those are, those are like worldly things that you attend to by doing things that give you that experience. Mm -hmm. the, the Kriya Yoga path, 
the self-inquiry path, Buddhist path, all these things, the purpose of them is to give you a realization of what it means to be infinite, timeless spirit. That's why you do the things that are in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. That's why you listen to your spiritual teacher. That's why you meditate for long periods of time well. That's what it's supposed to do. And many people think it's supposed to do these other things, which are activities like, you know, healing your relationships. Spirituality is not going to heal your relationship. You know what will? Going to a counselor and, and making choices that, 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 that allow you to make better relationship choices. That's what will heal your relationship. Mm. Kriya yoga is not going to heal your body. Mm. It's going to help because the things that are recommended to meditate well tend to make you healthier. But well, you that's mean not if, I pack, if I practice Kriya every day, uh, you mean I'm not going to live forever? <laughs> well, funny that you bring that up because one of, the, one of the latest comments on one of my YouTube videos was um, I was teaching a, a class and I had my hair down. And when my hair is down, you can see it, like I'm just gray all over the place. It just looks like, you know, I've got this Gandalf thing going on. Right. And, uh, and the person wrote, they said, <laughs> they totally didn't even listen to the video. They said, well, it looks like you have a lot of gray hair. And I thought Kriya Yoga is supposed to make you younger and live forever. And clearly uh, it's not working. So how can I believe the rest of it? <laughs> so, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. we all know, we all know of some, uh, some enlightened masters that, that have lived forever, right? Right, right. Yeah, there's one down the street. I go see him every Wait, day. They all get sick and die. Wait a minute. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, I mean, that's another important point. That, that uh, Do you have a few minutes or should we wrap it up? Oh, yeah, please. Uh, that, that's another important point because, again, when I would teach the, uh, the classes at the, the Asheville Meditation Center, there were people that sincerely came and wanted to learn because they wanted to live forever. They wanted to know. They wanted to live forever. Who would want to and, live forever? Yeah, well, that's what I thought. My God, man. I, I, I tried to explain to them. I said, look, <clears throat> even the, the, uh, um, the Mahamrityan Jaya mantra, you know, people look at that mantra as though that is a mantra which will allow a person to live forever. What they don't realize is that um, we, all, we are living forever, that sure. the real us is eternally alive. And, and the whole point of Kriya Yoga practice and, and the Gaya, or not Gayatri, um, the Mahamrityan Jaya mantra and so on is to give you the realization of what is the real you, which is eternal. So when we, when we hear about you know, uh, yogis that live forever, they're just a metaphor or a, um, I guess metaphor might be the right word, uh, for, for understanding and, and, and identifying with that aspect of ourselves, which is eternal. And then through the meditation practice, when you realize that, you don't wonder, am I going to live forever? Because you know you've got a body that's going to come and it's going to go, just like every experience does. But you are that eternal presence. You realize it. And then you know you live forever. But it's not because you physically are living forever. It's, it's the, the soul, the spirit, the, the pure conscious essence of you, which you recognize lives forever. And that's, that's a, going back to like orthodoxy and dogma when we started. You know, sometimes people might need to believe in Babaji as living forever to keep them inspired. But hopefully they will grow and they will have meditative experiences. We'll be like, oh, okay, so I'm not my body, which means it's okay if the body has its issues and I know what I am. It's like 
they can use that orthodoxy or that dogma or the fantasy, the, the, the enthusiasm that comes early on, um, but they have to be open to growing into greater insights of, of what is possible. And why would you think that what you imagine enlightenment to be is actually what it is? You know, when I was 18 years old and I got started, I thought enlightenment was a certain thing. Do I really want it even to be what 18-year-old Ryan thought enlightenment was? You know, it's, 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 it's just part of this growing process that, that we have to um, participate in. And that's, again, why if you are mentally and emotionally and psychologically healthy and mature, you will be able to embrace those changes. Why? Because we cling to fantasy and we cling to things that aren't true and dogma and so on because we don't feel safe. And ultimately, I think that's one of the biggest uh, problems with spirituality in the world is that people come to it because they're looking for safety. And I think it's important that they find safety, but I think that's a bigger issue for society. That's not necessarily a, uh, that's not necessarily a, a spiritual issue. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but that's just a, a theory that I have. Well, what, what do you mean by safety in this context? Well, think about it. And if, if people, okay, think about why, or the people you have met who have gotten involved in spirituality or joined meditation groups or went to churches and these types of things. From my, my observation, it always seems like what they really want is to belong, right. to feel safe, for people to appreciate them and to love them unconditionally, you know, all things that are our spiritual values. But why do they want that? Because they didn't get it as a kid, because society didn't give it to them. And so they're they're sort of they're they're coming at it from a place of like the, 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 the younger version of them is working through the adult body and the younger version is trying to get needs met through, like I said, community and so on. And until that, that younger aspect of them has really been addressed and, and, and made to feel safe on its own, they're never really going to feel safe deep down inside. And, and if, if, if society had changed, if, parenting styles had changed, if we have an understanding of people psychologically, if all that changes so that we know how to support people so that they feel strong and safe and secure, then they won't need to feel like they have to belong to things because they'll feel confident in themselves. And then they'll be able to actually engage meditation and spiritual practices, not because they're being driven by uh, unresolved unconscious conflicts, but because they actually really want to know what non-attachment is like, what purity is like, what pure, pure awareness, pure consciousness is like. Does this, does this make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, <clears throat> I agree. And, uh, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a bigger, it's a much larger issue. And, and I think it does have to do with how our society is organized. Yeah. Um, and, and what we value as a society and, uh, it's particularly here in the West, it's a very individual sort of individualistic, every man for himself, survival of the fittest, laissez-faire, capitalist right. uh, sort of uh, free-for-all. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't really support human needs, as, uh, right. some, as we've come to find out. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I just want to thank you uh, for, doing, for doing this interview, but also for being an inspiration uh, for me. I've been going through kind of a crappy time, uh, as you know, and I know you've had, uh, you know, some 
some not so great experiences. Life is uh, going to beat you up here and there. But, uh, but, uh, but I've, I've noticed that, you know, even if you get down for a little while, you, you keep bouncing back, you know, and, and, um, and, and so I've been thinking a lot recently about resilience. Yes. And the importance of resilience and perseverance and endurance. Because, man, there are some times, and everybody goes through this, I guess, uh, I assume, uh, where you just you want to give up. Right. You just want to give up. You're like, uh, yeah, I mean, all the spiritual work I've done, what the hell? You know, I've spent like 20 years meditating. And still, when something catches me off guard or catches me by surprise, I, I react negatively. I suffer. What the hell? You know, I thought I thought all this meditation practice was just supposed to solve all that. And uh, as we come to find out, it doesn't. And life continues to happen. And uh, you do continue to have your ups and downs. But one thing I've noticed is that it's sort of like a like an X Y graph, you know, axis. It's like uh, you know, you have your ups and downs. But without meditation, you just kind of stay on that same plane. It's just ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. But with the sadhana, with this uh, practice, you know, you still have your ups and downs, but the overall trend is sort of an, an upward trend. Even though some of those troughs can be pretty pretty right. gnarly, but, um, you know, if, if you have that internal strength, inner strength, um, that you know, we get from our, our practice and from our relationship with, with the divine, it, it does help with this process of, of resilience, endurance, perseverance. So you, can you just share a few words of wisdom uh, with me and for my listeners about resilience and bouncing back and just moving on, doing your best and just keep going, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's really all you can do. I think, uh, at least that's been my experience and, and, and partially my own, uh, resilience comes from, uh, uh being stubborn, I think. Mm. Um, and, um, not necessarily a bad trait. Yeah, I, su- I suppose, I suppose, but you know, the, the, the thing, the thing that, that, that has helped me in all of this, which, you know, I don't know if I ever would have been able to hear this when I was younger, but ha- after having gone through some difficult experiences and observing, um, I don't like to admit it still. I'm working on it. I don't like to admit it still, but almost always every adversity or challenge that I have experienced was there and I got like, it helped me spiritually. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I want to stress that by those challenges, I don't mean like problems that we make for ourselves. You know, like if, if, if we have a gambling addiction, we should take care of that. We shouldn't say, well, this is here to give me, you know, greater whatever. I'm talking about when life just happens, when, when things, when things happen, you've done your best and, and things just happen. When I look back, I don't like to admit it still, but almost everything has helped me realize something spiritually speaking. And so you know, I'll give an example. And I know you've heard this before, Chris, um, but like when, uh, when my late wife, Melissa was um, on her way out and she'd been through all these treatments and um, I was meditating by her uh, while she was in bed and I got to a still place and I just asked, why would this happen? Like, how is this even possible? Someone so healthy, probably a better person than I ever will be. You know, how, how could that happen to them? And what happened was it boomed in my mind. So you'll learn this isn't real. And that was just like, 
everything exploded. And the first thing I thought was, I don't need to learn it this way. Yeah, <laughs> you know? There's other ways, man. And that's exactly what I said. But, you know, and this is, this is what makes spirituality so hard is that sometimes those things that come into our lives, we won't learn them any other way. You know, I would not have learned that any other way, no matter how much meditation I did, no matter how many times I read the Sistas Yoga, where it says that exact thing, no matter how many times I, I studied the, uh, um, uh, the Holy Science, where it says that exact thing, that all of this is just the, the play of images on, in the mind of God, essentially, it's all ephemeral. Right. I could hear that and I could think about that, but I personally had to go through that experience to bring that home. And that's a terrible way to bring it home, but it shifted everything for me spiritually. And there were other things I've experienced too, where the exact same thing happened, where I didn't want this to be the case. But when I, when I, when I sat back and I meditated, and I just kind of observed what was it pointing out to me? Almost always, if I paid attention and if I could get away from my own, my own personal need to have it go a certain way, if I could just really, you know, suck it up and look, see what's going on here. Um, Every single time, I can't think of one time that, that I have not seen a deeper reason, spiritually speaking, not, not in regards to uh, anything else than spirit, but spiritually speaking, that I have felt, and I was even meditating on this last night, in all those things, what did I learn? I'm still here. I'm able to be here and have this conversation with you. I've since many difficult things have happened. I've been able to continue to teach and reach more people. And what I learned, the fact that I could keep going through each of those things was that I actually am supported. And that might not sound like much, but that was a pretty heavy realization for me. And, and, and it's, it's, you don't want it to be that way, but sometimes we have to have these difficult experiences. And, and in, in the moment, they might seem so overwhelming and devastating that we can't really get to the insight just yet. But if we can maintain steady with our meditation practice, with some kind of inner sense of possibilities that there's, there's, there's a bigger picture going on here, when we get through it, sometimes things are presented to us that we couldn't have dreamed of. And, you know, Roy's talked about this. M my life now is I could never have dreamed of, of the situations that I am in, but every single one of those situations is beautiful, despite other problems that have happened. So that is, that is what has allowed me to develop greater resilience was to stay true to what I knew the path was all about. And I did have the support of Mr. Davis and he would say things to me like, no matter what's going on, you know, I can't do miracles for you, but remain centered in the self. And because I had 18 years of a relationship with him and I trusted him, I, I listened and I didn't like it and I squirmed, but I said, just stay centered in the self. And for whatever that meant to me, as I made it through, I looked back and it gave me the ability to see, oh yes, wow, that was no fun. But for whatever reason, I had to experience it and I was supported and here I am and I look around and I can't complain. <laughs> you know, I woke up this morning, so I'm still winning, right? <laughs> so I don't know if that's what you were going for, but that, that's a general, that, that, that's what I would say about those things. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm waiting for some of those uh, beautiful insights uh, that you describe. I'm sure well, they're coming at some point. The, I, I kind of have a feeling they are. And, and what I would say to, to that end, because I don't, what frustrated me to no end to hear kind of what I just said, other people said those kinds of things to me too. And it just drove me up a wall. I was like, people would say, well, if you, if you don't 
know that it's a gift yet. You're, you haven't made it to the end. And I'd be like, a gift, you know what? All kinds of foul language would come up in my mind. Uh-huh. Um, but what I would say is, you know, if you, can, if you can at least entertain that as a possibility, do that, but also give yourself absolute, complete freedom to admit that what you're going through sucks. Mm. You know, don't sugarcoat it. Don't act like, you know, oh, God is testing me. No, tell God, this is a terrible thing. I, I can't believe this is happening. Be absolutely honest with your feelings about where you are. Being clear, it's like having a relationship like we were talking about. Having a relationship where you can disagree. You want to be able to disagree with the fact that this is going to do anything good for you. And you want to admit that you don't believe that at all. But try to imagine holding the back of your mind that you're open to the possibility that just maybe something could good could come from this. And it's the same thing with Mr. Davis. You know, you might've had this experience too. He was quite a bit older. He saw things from a different perspective. And sometimes he would recommend things that I thought, I don't know about that. Like maybe he's just out of touch. But then I, because I trusted him, I admitted I didn't agree, but I waited to see maybe he's right. And sure enough, most of the time he was. So I, I tend to kind of treat life like the, that, that guru now where I might not agree and I, I'm very verbal about it, but I'm waiting and, and I try to be open in that regard. So be honest, feel like crap, but still get up and do your meditation with maybe things are going to work out. You're the only spiritual teacher I know that would say, be honest, feel like crap, get up and <laughs> meditate anyway. And that's wonderful. That's basically what I've been doing. Good, good. It's just working. It's working out, you know. Um, but at any rate, thanks yeah. so much for the inspiration, the constant yeah, inspiration. And um, I really appreciate it and uh, hope to uh, talk to you again soon. Yeah, we'll do it. It was wonderful. Thank you for having me. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community at www.patreon.com forward slash Kriya Yoga.